Well, God bless you. Hey, uh, Sib- um, Natalia, we are um, just, yeah, this, this is your cue. <laughs> we have, uh, Natalia is going to bring the scripture reading this morning. So you go for it, Natalia. Hi. <laughs> um, so I wasn't 100% sure on what scripture to speak about. So I was like looking through my notebook and then um, I found this one from Psalms. It's Psalm 23 verse 4. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, there will never conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely for you are near. Um, I really like this scripture because I feel like in these times when we're like not sure what's happening around us and it's quite scary, it's showing that like God is always there to comfort and love on us. And we don't need to be scared because um, God is always going to be with us. So that's all I got. I know it's short, but yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, thank you so much, Natalia. I um I think a few people were were maybe having a bit of a struggle uh, hearing that, but you know what? We uh, we receive you, and we receive that word today in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you. So um so uh, a bit of a shout out to all the kids that are are, are uh, uh, watching in today. Hey, God bless you, kids. Really, really awesome to see you. Hope you are all doing well. If, uh, if you're a kid, give us a wave. Are you doing well? You've been treating your dad this morning. <laughs> Looks to me like there's a few non-kids uh, having a bit of a wave as well. So that says something pretty cool about, um, you know, about how he should be. Yay. Yeah, really good to see you today, kids. We bless you in Jesus' name. Well, we've got one of the big kids this morning who's going to bring the first 10. And so uh, we're, we're going to head off over to the Hawken house to uh, to Phil and Sarah's place. And uh, we we really want to bless you guys today. Thank you, for Phil, for, uh, for bringing this word this morning. You just go for it, bro. Well, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Crifton and uh, Eldership team, for the opportunity to share. Um, I'm still feeling quite undone by that song, actually. Um, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you during this time and ask and make room for you. And uh, any, yeah, and any words and the words that you have um, for your people to hear, um, may they just take root. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for this this uh, time and we ask that you breathe breathe on the word in Jesus name amen so m- midweek I I challenged um, I challenged us to actually consider uh, afresh who who God is who Jesus is who the Holy Spirit is to us and I think maybe, it might have been a bit overwhelming, um, all those questions, but I feel like there are times and seasons where it's appropriate to reflect on on who God is. 
And I think we have lots of time to do that at the moment. And yeah, I've just been freshly encouraged. Um, and today being Father's Day, um, got a bit emotional actually this morning, just thinking about the whole concept of being a dad. Um, but just reflecting on who God is and who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is, how how he is constantly changing us, that we're going from glory to glory. And that's what he's um, bringing us into. And I'm going to tie it in with Matthew 22. So just bear with me. I'm actually just going to read out um, who God is to encourage us, to refresh us. Who is the father? Names of God. He is Elohim, our creator. He is Jehovah, our Lord. He is El Shaddai, our supplier. He is Adonai, our teacher. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He is Jehovah, our battle fighter. And the Lord is our banner. He is Jehovah Shalom, the giver of peace. He is Jehovah Rapha, our healer. He is Jehovah Makadesh, our sanctifier. He is El Elyon, the omnipresent one. He is with us right now. He is El Roy, the God who sees us, that we are seen, that we are known, that we are cherished as his kids. Jeremiah 23, verse 6, the Lord is my righteousness. He is our righteousness. And Jesus came to make us righteous. And I'll, I'll go, go back to that later on. Jesus is the good shepherd. We just heard that from um, uh, Psalm 23. So that's a great encouragement. He is our good shepherd. He is, our, he is the consuming fire. He is the potter. He is the rock of salvation. He is the fear of Isaac. Here is the ancient of days. And there are more and more names and more and more um, names of God out there. But I just want to share these to encourage us to um, uplift our spirits, that God is with us and his character has not changed by the times we live in. Who he is has not changed by the times we're living in. And he stays true to his nature. He is faithful to us. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is justice. Jesus is our savior. He's our king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's our teacher. Righteousness and justice are the pillars of his throne. And my favorite, my favorite personally is Jesus is our older brother. He's the first among brothers. And yeah, that's a special, special place in my heart, knowing that um, he carries and he carried burdens I don't have to carry. And the Holy Spirit, he's our mentor, our friend, our counselor. He is with us all the time. If we make room for him, he is there for us. He's our gentleman. So these are all the things and many more of who God is at and now I want to change focus to who do we want to be for God? What does God want to draw out of us for him, for his glory? When we look in the mirror, God's going to be marrying us. What version of us do we want God to marry? 
do we what do we we want to be the best version of us and and that's the challenge the lord's been giving me the past week um quite strongly is how do we bring our best to jesus because he deserves our very best i i have a thought on this concept of being our best for Jesus because he deserves it. He is worthy of it all. Did you know that nuns, nuns have a ceremony and before they become a nun, they marry Jesus. They, they wear white, they dress up. And Catholics, Anglicans and other um, denominations actually do this practice where these nuns who are virgin, they set themselves aside for God. They dress up like many women do when they get married, like Sarah did when she got married to me, is she wore white. And they wear white and they give their vows to Jesus. Now, where am I going with this? Well, I'm going, going to um, say a few things. First, Jesus wore white. We know that in Daniel chapter 10, verse 4. I'll just go there real quick. Daniel chapter 10, verse 4. As I was standing beside the great Tigris River, oh, sorry, verse 5, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing, and it goes on and on who Jesus is with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a dazzling gem from his face came flashes of lightning. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze and his voice was like a roaring of a vast multitude of people. It's just so glorious. This gives me goosebumps reading it. Um, but I like to highlight what he was wearing, linen clothing. And the priesthood, and the priests in the Old Testament, they also wore linen clothing. They wore linen undergarments and they wore a linen outfit. And we're called to be kings and priests to our God. That's, that's the inheritance we have ahead of us. Even right now, we're... I think we have the opportunity to step into our inheritance, into that understanding of who we're called to be. And in the Old Testament, the linen garments the priests wore, they were supposed to be without wrinkle and without blemish. Now, with all the sacrifices going on, I don't know how you do that. So how can you keep linen clean, linen if you have a linen shirt at home, guys, you know that it creases very, very easily. Right. So how do we wear linen that is without wrinkle or blemish? Well, it's practically impossible or very difficult to do. But we have Jesus, who is our righteousness. We have Jesus who clothes us. When we said yes to Jesus, he clothed us in his righteousness, in his purity, And tying through to Jesus now in Matthew 22, 
verse 11, which is our theme. Starting in verse 11. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? And the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind him hand and foot and throw him out into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So all this to, all this to say that I just, I just feel, I just feel very deeply in my soul that the Lord, um, he's encouraging us to allow him to clothe us in his righteousness and his purity. But at the same time, we, we come before him with our best. We, we give what we have. We give our all, whatever he's called us to do in this season, whatever we do, we give, I give our best to Jesus. And, and even when we fall short and we all will, he will just come around us. He will clothe us. He will make us ready for, for the wedding that we're going to be a part of and we're privileged and we are privileged to be a part of. And so, yeah, just being the best of who, who you can be and being your best for Jesus and not being afraid of, um, not being good enough or the clothes we have because Jesus has done it all for us already. The only time that Jesus is not wearing white is in Revelation 19, where I believe he's wearing white, but his robes dipped in blood. So it stands out. So, but other than that, Jesus always wears white and we get to wear white. So that's all for me. Bless you all. Well, that's so good, Phil. Thank you, mate. <clears throat> well done. So, like, uh, you know, well, um, uh, well constructed and and well delivered to men. So, really great word. It's, uh, there's there's great depth for us as we consider um, the the names of God and and how we associate that with, you know, the uh, the the marriage to. Um, you know the marriage to to Jesus, the marriage to the the, the bridegroom. So, wow! Thank you for bringing that this morning. So good. Is everyone doing okay? Where you're at? Give us a wave if you're doing. Waves on. So hey, that's really good. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm loving the slippers, uh, Nathan. They looked like they it looked like you were wearing them. <laughs> <laughs> that's great excellent hey um i just i just wanted to say hi to tristan it looks almost like you're all um you know you've got your guitar ready and you've got a bit of a song have you got a song to play or something mate give us a wave or no 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 all good i just i, I just, just strumming along to worship oh awesome no worries. Awesome. Uh, good to see your faces this morning. 
Well, we're going to head over to uh, the Yateman household, and Annette is bringing the word this morning. So uh, welcome. Come on in, Yatemans. God bless you this morning. Thanks very much, Ken. It is such an, um, a privilege to be able to share the word. It's my absolute favorite thing to study the word. And, you know, whenever you prepare a message, it's such a, a blessing because you get to learn and see things. God shows you things for yourself along the way. Um, I, I just marvel at how the Lord is tying in scriptures between Phil and Natalia and the three aspects I kind of want to bring out today with regard to Matthew 22 verse, um, Matthew 22, and I'm going to read some extracts from it, but about marriage and marriage is about two things. It's about love and it's about covenant. And so I want to bring those in to play this morning. So let's start off with Matthew 22, verse 2. And it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding, wedding banquet for his son. And this is really important to note as believers. I think in a modern day Western society, we don't understand all um, what, what kingdom actually is. Uh, kingdom is not democratic vote. Kingdoms are run by kings in the old days and their word was law and he was supreme. And so the word of God is supreme. It is the word of the king. And so he sent his servants to summon those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they refused to come. Now, I find this really interesting because the king would have summoned people he knew or people that knew him. These were not strangers. And that's quite a sobering thought because God is summoning his people, but some will hear and some will refuse to come. And in verse four, he said, again, he sent other servants telling those who are invited, behold, I've prepared my banquet, my bullocks and my fatted calves are killed and everything is prepared. Come to the wedding feast. Again, grace reaches out again and again and again and renders the call. Verse five, but they were not concerned and paid no attention. They ignored and made light of the summons treating it with contempt, and they went away, one to his farm and to the other his business. Now, this is sobering too, because God sends a message again, the king sends a message again, and they treat the summons with contempt. Now, a summons at the time was the word of the king. And so we as believers are not to treat the word of God with contempt or lightly or be distracted from it by businesses or land, which represents materialism. This is a season where we are to really hear the voice of God. <clears throat> and then verse nine, now he gets ticked. He says, so go to the thoroughfares where they leave the city, the main roads and those from the country end and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Verse 10, and those servants went out to the crossroads and got together as many as they found, both good and bad. And I feel like the word of the Lord <clears throat> has went out to the people who were at the, who is going out now to the people who are at crossroads of decision. 
Some of them are bad, some of them are good, but they are at the crossroads of decision and God is calling those people now into the wedding feast. Verse 11, but when the king came to view it, he looked intently at a man who was not wearing a wedding garment. Now, in those days, when guests were invited to a wedding, in this case, they would have been given the appropriate clothes to wear for the function. Now, why was this man rebuked so severely for not wearing the wedding garments? Why? Because it showed a heart attitude. He refused to change. Yes. So he refused to change his clothing. Now, clothing represented identity or himself. He refused to change self. And so that's why God was really cross with him because in the place of marriage and in the place of true covenant and in the place of love, God is calling us to change. You cannot lead a single's life being married. There requires change. There requires the way we do things differently because our lives are no longer about me, myself, and I, but about our those that we are married to. And there is a, a positioning of humility and, and awareness of lacking, of dropping self. So what does covenant mean? And I did a bit of study on covenant. I don't want to get too much in it because there's different kinds of covenant. But the root meaning of covenant um, is the Hebrew word. I'll get it for you. Um, Bereth, B-E-R-I-Y-T-H. That is the root word for covenant. And that the, the essence of that root word is to cut. And covenants was often taken where flesh was cut into two halves and then they would do a ritual through that. But you know what? The New Testament is about us coming before the Lord and cutting away the flesh and the soulishness of our hearts and our beings in order to be intimate and in covenant with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what covenant is. Even in our modern day marriages, you have to cut away self in order for there to be relationship. Because there's a laying down of aspects of ourselves. And so covenant always had to do with two things, blood, which is the redemption of Christ, and cutting away of flesh. That's why the men were circumcised. It is a cutting of flesh. And so he's calling us as a bride to prepare ourselves and to walk away from our fleshly desires. It's interesting, if you carry on in Matthew 22, um, he, if you keep reading, if you go to verse uh, 37, now the story carries on. And I find that really interesting because now the, the, the Pharisees are a little bit ticked. Um, and so they take God on, Jesus on. And in verse 37, he said, and he replied to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and intellect. I'm reading from the Amplified. 
This is the great and most important principle and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These two commands sum up and upon them depend all the law of the prophets. So God is calling us. The wedding feast is, is the door to a relationship of love. And it's interesting. It's a by the way, and I'll teach more extensively on it. In, in the women's group, but I did some study on the Jewish wedding. And it's interesting, the first part of a Jewish wedding, and I wrote it down, and it was just taken off actually a wedding planner's site. So I found it very interesting because they're just giving the information for brides to a, a Jewish wedding. And the first port of call for a bride was as the bride was given a moment on her wedding day, to forgive of all and repent of all the mistakes of the past. That's the very first port of call for the preparation of the bride of the Jewish wedding in the sense. And I thought that's really interesting because God is calling his people right now where there is a place where he's holding us and purifying us and making us ready. But as a bride, we need to forgive and we need to repent because where there is no forgiveness, where there is unforgiveness, God, there, there can be no room for love. That's why there is so much in the word of God about forgive, 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 because for unforgiveness kills love. Okay, so these are, that is the basic law is the love part because when we love, there is intimacy. And whatever you are intimate with, you reproduce after. If you are intimate with fear, what will happen is you will reproduce after fear. If you are intimate with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and hold on to that love, the automatic consequence of that is you will reproduce love going forward. So basically, as I read scriptures, you will see and... Forgive me because some of them are really quite firm, but I feel like it is important as a body of Christ that we talk about this because, you know, as the fivefold ministry, we are called to number one, pull our pull people's eyes towards Jesus, never about ourselves, but about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And number two is to instruct how or to equip. And this is part of it. So um, he, 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 he also says in Mark 12, verse 30 and 31, let's just go there very quickly. I'm aware of time. I'm aware. Sorry, I just have to find it because I prefer to read it. You shall love the Lord your God out of and with your whole heart and out of and with your whole soul, your life, and out of and with your mind, with all your faculty of thought and your moral understanding, and out of and with all your strength. This is the first and principal commandment. The second is like it, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
there is no other commandment greater than these. And right throughout scripture, he repeats this several times, which means he's making a point. Um, in Matthew 24, verse 12, he says, and the love of a great body of people will grow cold because of the multiplied lawlessness and iniquity. And I find this really interesting because love is a foundation and it says perfect love casts out all fear. And it says in the last days, love will grow cold. Why? Because the enemy's focus is if he can kill love in your heart, he kills intimacy with God. He, he opens the door to fear. And whenever we fear, we lose the ability to hear. And then we break relationship. And it says, Corinthians 13, if I have not love, I can do all these things, but I'm a, I'm a clanging symbol. And so in, in scripture, he says, you will be known by your love. So if the enemy can kill love in your heart, through unforgiveness, through hurt, through holding on to grudges, he can kill the effectiveness and the reproduction of Jesus in the lives of others. That's his whole aim. And so right now we see a mass um, approach to kill and divide. I, I made an, I was sitting in my quiet time the other day and the Lord said something really interesting. He said, um, seeds of suspicion grow a tree of separation that bears fruit of strife. Okay. So the minute the enemy can sow seeds of suspicion, it begins to kill love in your heart. And when we kill love in our heart, we lose our intimacy with God and we lose our ability to be effective and reproduce Christ in the world that desperately needs it. And propaganda, the media is full of it. I'm going to address things like vaccination or non-vaccination. That is a global onslaught on the body of Christ to bring separation and division. Because at the end of the day, what it is, you've let it kill love in your heart for the person on the other side. The, a few months before that, we had onslaught of Trump versus non-Trumpers. Well, that got, went on for blimmin' years, man. And all it does is bring separation, division, and suspicion. And what it does is it kills love in our hearts. So beware not to judge or point fingers because what it does is it leads us out of the covering and the intimacy of marriage. Love is not permissive. Love is passionate. If I'm in a marriage and there's lots of love, it doesn't give me permission to jump the fence into adultery. We have this warped understanding that love is permissive and, oh, dudums, that's okay. You can do what you want and we'll just accept it. It's not apathetic. Love is passionate. It is strong. It will fight for the lives of those around you but you can fight without being in separation, division, suspicion, and strife. So as believers, I am asking you today to be watchful over your heart. With any marriage, you have to constantly put into that relationship. You can't press autopilot on day two and expect that to be absolutely okay 30 years down the line.
It doesn't work like that. And that's why Jesus refers everything to relationship and love, because it requires constantly getting over ourselves and forgiving. John 14, verse 23, Jesus answered, if a person really loves me, he will keep my word obey my teaching and my father will love him and we will come and make our home with him. Jude verse 20, constantly and progressively build yourselves up on the foundation of your most holy faith by praying every moment in the spirit as you fasten your hearts to the love of God. Now, fastening is a will that says, I choose, I will attach myself to that love. It's not a lying on the beach, kumbaya. It is a choice. 1 John 4 verse 12. But if we love one another, God makes his permanent home in him. There's a condition there, if we love one another. So not loving one another has pr pretty serious um, ramifications. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We keep praying, but we want to poke each other's eyes out. And we're unrepentant. God's not going to come into that. What is the quickest way? He says a house divided against itself will fall. And the enemy is sowing lack of love so that the house of God will fall. That's his aim. In 1 John 4 verse 21, verse 20, anyone can say, I love God, yet hatred towards another a believer. This makes him a phony. If you can't love a brother or a sister who you see, how can you truly love God whom you don't? John 3 verse 10, anyone who does not demonstrate righteousness and show love to a fellow, fellow believer is not living with God as his source. Verse 15, anyone who keeps hating a fellow believer is a murderer, and you will know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. I'm reading the scriptures and I'm going, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. So, you know, the thing is, religion celebrates perfection. Jesus celebrates progress. And so we don't all wake up one morning and go, ta-da, we're all perfect in love and unity. No, this is about being aware of it so that you grow towards it. In a marriage, you understand that you don't always get it right. You learn to know what each other like and what each other don't like, but you don't purposefully say, good morning, how can I annoy Brett today? That's not the motive. But these grace covers sin. At the end of the day, we need to be moving towards holiness all the time. Verse 18, it is not an abstract theory, but demonstrated through our loving deeds. John, 1 John 2 verse 9, I am in the light, while holding in hatred in his heart towards a fellow believer is still in darkness. Verse 11, but whoever hates a fellow believer 
lives in darkness, stumbling around in the dark with no clue where he is going, for he is blinded by the darkness. These are pretty strong scriptures, but I want to make it so important as we move into these last days to hear this because love is our foundation. And God is calling us to build his house strong. So, okay, Annette, that's very nice. But what does that look like for little old me? Well, we start by we go, how do we grow love in our hearts? We put on the garments of the, of the wedding feast. The one that says, God, I'm going to change. No matter what it costs me, I'm going to change. My choice is for you. You are my groom. I lay everything down for you. And you know what? So, so we repent. The Lord says, you know, I found it interesting that in the Jewish physical culture, the bride repents of holding offense against anything. And so that's our first port of call. What we do is we go before the Lord and we repent of judgments and words that were not spoken in love. And also repent for not loving or allowing our love to grow cold. Now, it's interesting because for myself, I felt like as I began this journey, the Lord had me go on this journey a few months ago. <clears throat> and I felt like <laughs> my list was as long as those biggest supersized toilet rolls, you know, that just kind of roll down the passage out the hallway down the road <laughs> with the amount of judgment that we make. We make judgment on our school teachers. We made judgments on our parents when we were little. We made judgments on our spouses. We make judgment on ourselves. We make judgment on governance, governments and people races. And we look down our noses and say, so-and-so should be doing this, yet we do exactly the same. And so the Lord had me go on a journey where I asked him to please bring to remembrance every judgment that I'd made that was not of him. And I took it before the Lord and I really repented and of idle words. You know, you can dress a piggy in any kind of suit, but that piggy is still going to say oink. And you can justify what you like. But I promise you at the end of the day, you just have to recognize that that piggy is saying oink. You might, have, you might have very good reason to have been offended. But in the face of eternity and in the face of intimacy with the most powerful being on earth, it's just an oink. So secondly, what's the second thing we can do? Be watchful of suspicion. Be aware that the media and everyone around you is going to try and sow seeds of suspicion because that will grow a tree of separation. You know, at the end of the day, the king of his kingdom, it's his word that counts. The rest is just our opinion. And so he is Lord of all. So our role is to guard our love one for another at all cost. 
and pray that. Pray that now, saying, Lord Jesus, I choose to fix and fasten my heart on you no matter what. Yes, you will have your personal convictions. That's not the issue. The issue is what or how you tear down or render somebody else. The importance is to see that every person is precious and valuable. So, the next thing is love. You can't say, I, I can't say to Brett, I love you and never demonstrate it. Love always has action. It's not an invisible thing. It is tender. There is action, but there is also obedience and service that goes with it. You know, I, I, I read something and it, it spoke to me. Grace told Noah, the flood was coming, but it was the obedience of Noah that saved him. Because at the end of the day, he had to build the ark himself. God warned him, he made everything possible, but there was still an element where Noah had to say, yes, God, I obey. And you know, in these days, a flood of wickedness is coming in across our globe. And the Lord God of heaven has given us the grace, but it is our obedience in love that will build that ark. As in the days of Noah, it has to do with loving God, loving each other, and an obedience that follows. So be encouraged. I've kept good time. <laughs> And um, I just really want you to please go away and think about what has been shared this morning and don't go, oh, that was a great message and then carry on like you were before. Go away and study and say, Lord Jesus, do your work in me. Don't sit there and think, oh, you know, Sammy Joe down the road, he really needs to hear this message. No, no. First us. God, come and clean here. My heart is yours. My being is yours. That's what, day, that's what made David a friend of God. It wasn't that he got it right. It was the fact that he was willing to say and understood grace in the era of the law. And he pursued God and didn't hide sin. He repented and kept walking. And that's what God is calling us to do. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And God, the love of God, and the love of each other more than anything else. So be blessed. Can we pray? Father, I just thank you for every precious person that I am looking at here on my screen. I thank you for the great call that is on their lives, that you desire deep and intimate relationship with them. But Father, I pray that as this word has been spoken, that we would go away and that we would seriously look at the love tank or our ability to love fellow believers. Lord, that we would sit in the silence of our home and repent of the judgments and the seeds of separation we have allowed to germinate in our hearts and that we would quickly pull them out. 
Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move over your body, this body, start with us, and that the world out there that is sitting at the crossroads of decisions that are being called to the wedding feast would see the love of God in a world where love is dying very quickly. I thank you, Father, that you never, ever stop working on us. And I pray a blessing on every individual. May you grow in the revelation and understanding of the Lord. May your eyes be fixed firmly on him. May you not be distracted by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And I pray that your households and your children be blessed, that they too would grow up and follow the Lord with all the days, all the days of their life and with every being of their heart. That we would speak words of life over our children, not words of judgment. That we would see as you see and call forth righteousness in the innermost being. In Jesus' name, amen. Ken, back to you. Oh, Annette, that's so good this morning. That is a, that is a strong word, and you, you've taught us strongly this morning. So so bless you, and thank you, Annette. And as Annette's been praying for us, it's just like, Lord, we, we receive your word today. We receive uh, your, uh, your, Lord, receive your instruction through this word. And we pray that, Lord, over the coming days, as we, uh, as we meditate on this word, as we study it further, as we uh, think upon these things, Lord, that you would, uh, that, that you, you would mold something in us. Lord, that you would, um, you would grow in us what it means to be a kingdom people. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much, so much uh, Annette. That's a, a really excellent word this morning.